Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sounds of Hockey podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Gerholt, and we are in what looks like the beginning of a very exciting Stanley Cup final between the Blues and the Bruins. Notice how I said final and not finals. I know uh, that's become a strange point of fixation over the last couple of years with the grammar being off. So uh, Blues and Bruins are facing off in the Cup final. Game one has concluded. We are actually, let's see, I'm recording this on Tuesday night, so tomorrow is game two. And uh, basically in this podcast, we're going to kind of go through all of game one. I know there's been a lot of preview shows. I kind of wanted to uh, do things a little bit different. I wanted to see at least one game and see how these teams came out, uh, despite, you know, the the large layoff um, between games for both teams. And I wanted to see, you know, what we were really going to get a taste of in terms of, uh, I guess, how similar but different these teams are and how the East fares versus the West. I know it's a lot to gauge with one game, but just get like a, a little bit of a snippet of what we might be taking a look at throughout the series. So Boston takes a one nothing lead in the series with a 4-2 win. Um, wasn't always the prettiest Especially that first period, that was that was pretty. I mean, you could see the rust. It, it had been eleven days since uh, the Bruins had played a game, and six days since the Blues had played a game. If you count, you know, the game day, which I mean, technically that's that's most of a day, right? So, eleven and six, or ten and five, however you want to do your math, I don't really care. But leading up um, to the series, all we kept hearing about was. Uh, response to the physicality of the Blues, and the Blues are physical, they're going to run over the Bruins, and they're going to bruise the Bruins, and, um, you know, in all honesty, I think what we saw is kind of what we're going to get. I think St. Louis was a bit hemmed in by the speed after the first period, and I think they did not expect it. I think they expected it to kind of be more of the first period, which went their way in a lot of ways, uh, mostly in luck, and that's not saying that the goals were lucky, um, even though that posture knock turnover was pretty fucking hideous. But I'm saying in terms of how the Bruins were playing versus the Blues, uh, the Bruins looked like they were the better team. And, you know, I don't want to sound like um, a Leafs fan or any fan of a team that just got knocked out that says, you know, this, this is the better team and they just lost, uh, which doesn't make any fucking sense. But... It looked like Boston was playing well, and they hit three posts in that game. I think it was two posts in the first period, and sure enough, the Blues sunk their chances, and that's, I mean, that's ultimately the name of the game, right? You got to sink the chances. You got to make the goals. So the first one comes from Braden Shen, um, who I guess, I, I think it was he hadn't scored for like three weeks throughout the playoffs, and then he scored in the last game on, I think, one of the only shots or the last shot he took in the game, and then he scored on his first shot in this game. So he has consecutive shots where he scored and in consecutive games. So uh, I don't want to say good for him, but at the same time, I mean, good for him. So then you have the egregious turnover from Pasternak, who is also going to right, or right to Braden Shen, Shen swoops around the net from behind, shoots it out to Tarasenko, Tarasenko sinks it. I mean, you can't really gift two better goals than that. The first goal was a failure to clear the zone, which has been a problem for the Bruins throughout various parts of the season. 
mainly in the season. The playoffs, too, uh, mostly against faster teams. I don't think that's really going to be a terrible problem throughout the series because after that first period, you didn't really see too much of the Bruins being hemmed into their own zone. And I know that that's not a fair assessment for the Blues because, uh, like I said, the Blues looked like they were shell-shocked. I mean, it, it was literally like they came out after the first and the Bruins absolutely dominated in the second period. It was uh, outshot 18-3. to The high-danger chances were basically the same in terms of like a six to one ratio is a little less, but I mean, honestly, it was it was utter domination by the Bruins, and it was full case of their speed and their superior passing, which has also been um, for anyone that's not biased against the Bruins, that's been a huge talking point of what the Blues are going to have to take on uh, in terms of the Bruins, their elite passing, uh, and not even elite passing with everyone. It's just better passing than the Blues have shown. Uh, I'm not saying they can't do that, but it looks like it's a bit too much for the Blues um, and the speed, which I think a lot of people uh, have underrated with Boston. And people that don't tend to watch Boston think they're, you know, just this, this is still this bruising, like, dirty team. And really, it's, I mean, they can play it any way you want it. The way I like to describe it is they are a hybrid team of um, power forwards. It, it's... I mean, from line one to four, you have not huge guys, but, you know, I guess average size NHL players, six foot, six foot one, something like that, that are extremely fast or really, really good puck handlers. Um, you know, first line you have pick. I mean, you have Bergeron, Pasternak, or Marchand. Now, Marchand's not six foot, of course. I think Pasternak is like 5'10", 5'11". But again, not big, just elite puck movers. If you're not an elite puck mover, you're really fast. Someone like Sean Corrali, who does showcase his hands, but really his game is cycle the puck until the other person basically tires themselves out. Uh, he's really, really good at cutting his edges and keeping the puck away from other players. And he's also got a very physical side to his game. Um, so he's kind of a nightmare for most players. Now, he does uh, tend to get... You know, it, there are games where he kind of has blown defensive assignments, but he's, for a fourth liner, I mean, you can't really ask for a better um, type player. But sorry, so to get back to, you know, in terms of the Bruins' identity, they are a fast team. They're not the fastest team, but they're a fast team with big players who are not afraid to play physically. But what I noticed is in the first series against the Leafs, uh, the Bruins were outmatched with speed they tried to play just pure speed and skill and they weren't a match for Toronto that's just the short and uh, uh short and simple of it I guess it's it's not that they can't play that way but against the Leafs who are I mean that's how they're built they're built for purely skill and speed they don't really have a ton of big guys that can play physically um they are all skill so they tried in game one and got their asses handed to them uh they went way over the top the other way and played a ridiculously physical game in game two, and I worked for him. And then basically games three through seven, they were finding that middle ground that they had played with, I mean, pretty much all year where it's, you know, some physicality so that you know they're there and that they, you know, beat the hell out of you to get you off the puck, but also take it away with skill, piss you off, make you draw penalties against them, um, etc etc or make you take penalties rather um so and then second series 
Everyone kept saying Columbus, Columbus, Columbus. They're going to beat the hell out of the Bruins. They're bigger. Um, and sure enough, I mean, Columbus tried to play that game. And Boston kind of engaged a little bit back and forth. There was definitely some physicality in that series. But I think what we saw is A, um, Tuka Rask, and I'll, I'll just say that for reasons one through four. And then number five was um, the Bruins were just a bit deeper and they were a bit faster. And I think that was really the difference maker aside from Rask. Because uh, Rask and Bobrovsky were really good in that series. Aside from the last two games, uh, games one through four, Bobrovsky was fucking amazing. I mean, the last two games kind of was a poop sandwich. Um, not to mention, you know, the or not to besmirch the good name of Justin Williams, but I mean, he he didn't do too well, and that's full credit to the Bruins as well. But the whole point of what I'm saying is we we've seen how the Bruins play. This is how they play. They are a fast, chippy team that has really good passing, really good defense, and now really good goaltending. And we're going to kind of do this for for both teams um, that are in the final since, you know, there's limited amounts of stuff to talk about. I kind of want to try to do a a mini deep dive into these teams and their path to where they are now and kind of an underrated side of, um, if you haven't been watching one team or the other, an underrated side or sides of each of the teams and why they're here. So if you've if you've heard the preview shows before, um, which I don't really think this is going to be, a, I mean, it's not really a preview show to me, but uh, I mean, in the eye of the beholder, I guess. You've heard, you know, all the stats of the in-season bullshit between the Bruins and the Blues. You know, I don't pay attention to that. The in-season stuff doesn't mean a thing. We've seen this every year where some team you know, meets up with another team that they've played well against or horribly against in the regular season, it doesn't mean anything. It's not the same season. It might have the same season attached to it, but in terms of mentality, in terms of play, it is totally different. There was nothing to relate to. If, if you are, like, in my opinion, if you're giving regular season stats as a preview, you're either A, just trying to have some airtime and you don't really have that much to talk about, or B, you don't know what you're talking about. It's nothing. There, there's almost nothing that you can take from the series with two teams in the regular season and apply it in the postseason. I mean, we've seen so many teams rewrite their stories. You know, uh, I think the year of, what was it, 17, 18? I think the Bruins lost the majority of the regular season games and all the Leafs fans were saying it was going to be a walk. And sure enough, we beat the shit out of them in seven games. Now, uh, that's not an emphatic beat the shit out of, but in game seven specifically, we beat the shit out of them. We won the series, right? Doesn't mean a thing. The regular season, again, does not mean a thing coming into this. So I'm not even going to run those numbers. Uh, The postseason numbers are all that really matters to me because that's where we are. So coming into this game, there was a large worry about rust for both teams, Uh, mainly the Bruins, because the Bruins had basically doubled the layoff that St. Louis did, and we saw all the rust. I mean, the only good thing to take from that period, which is period one and the first minute of period two, I think, was the fact that the Bruins didn't look that bad, even with the rust, even with the layoff. I mean, they had the two goals, egregious chances against just mental farts. They were not anything to worry about in terms of how the Bruins were playing overall because I thought, again, they were playing better than St. Louis overall in terms of possession, in terms of zone time. Uh, But again, all it takes is two little hiccups and a team like St. Louis, they did not make it here by mistake. 
There is no, I, I'm not going to take anything away from St. Louis uh, in terms of how they got to the Stanley Cup final. The Blues, honestly, they didn't look bad. I mean, uh, I think Bennington had a couple a couple stinkers that he was saved by uh, in terms of the post. And, you know, both teams are really good at exploiting the slot area. And um, I don't remember the exact stats, but I, they, I know that they were tied even for number of goals. Uh, now, Boston had played two less goals, which, I mean, when you factor it in, it's really not that big of a difference. It, it's pretty negligible in terms of goals per game. Uh, I will say, however, that the Bruins... Um, have allowed a lot fewer. I think the Blues coming into the series had allowed 48 goals, and the Bruins had only allowed 33. Now, part of that is because Tuka Rask has been by far the best goalie in the playoffs. I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, ridiculous how t- like zoned in he is with his play. He has saved uh, a stupid amount of goals against that were expected, so uh, compared to league average goaltending, he's saved, I think it's eight, eight goals against. So, I mean, add on eight goals, you still have 41. It's, I mean, it's still a, a decent difference. But uh, St. Louis, I think they have a better defense overall. But I think the Bruins' defensive system is better, if that makes sense. I think St. Louis's defense is better at joining in the rush and joining in the play in terms of the offensive side of things. And they're good defensively. But I think the Bruins on the defensive side of things are much better. Um, and that's not a knock on St. Louis. Again, the Bruins could activate their D more in terms of offense. We've seen it happen before. But I think they like what they see out of their forwards. And that would be something if they were worried about you know offensive firepower, you might see Cassidy switch up. Um, how the rushes go in. And you already have McAvoy, Krug, and Grizzlick, who are all pretty active D-men that will join the rush, but they kind of more cycle the puck. Um, and then they stay at the point, come in with that bomb. And you've heard Cassidy say, um, you know, he, he prefers quality shots over quantity. And that's kind of what they wait for. Uh, but St. Louis overall has, I, they have more offense with their D. It's just, you know, it's a fact. So uh, the forward group, you know, I have to give the advantage to Boston. I think that the Blues have a good... Uh, um, sorry, let me start that again. The Blues have a good forward group, but it's not It's not good enough... Uh, or not good enough, sorry. It's not as good as the Bruins. I mean, the top line of Schwartz, Shen, and Tarasenko has looked great so far in Game 1. I mean, they had the two goals that the Blues scored. I don't think we're going to see too many of those garbage time goals anymore. I, I think that after that first period... Uh, specifically Pasternak, you know, kind of basically said, okay, enough, time to take the cobwebs off, time to shake free of this shit, and it's, it's go time. Um, I do think that we're going to see Patrice Bergeron um, do what he does best and basically make this team a black hole, or make this uh, line a black hole. They're going to have the best chances against, uh, for, against the Bruins in terms of scoring because they are the best line. Uh, Schwartz has been ridiculous. I mean, I think, um, what does he have now? 13 goals. Mm, actually, I think it's 12. He didn't score. So he has 12 goals in the playoffs, which is crazy. He, he leads goal scorers with the amount of goals. Shen, um, like I said, it had been three weeks since he had a goal, but he's looked pretty dangerous. And, uh, Tarasenko is Tarasenko. And, you know, 
everyone was giving him so much shit for being invisible. And you know what? Rightfully so. I understand. You're on the top line. You're a leader of the team. And you are the best sniper on the team, without a doubt. And you're not doing anything offensively. And that's what you're best at. You know, that's what you have to show up and do. So there are a lot of people questioning his character and questioning his contract. And you know what? He kind of shut everyone up. I mean, he's been really good the last three games. And uh, he's sneaky, man. He can shoot it from anywhere. And he's got pinpoint accuracy, you know, in a half second. He just snaps it off and it's there. I mean... We saw that goal he scored uh, basically from the point against Martin Jones. Now, I mean, that probably should have been stopped. I'm going to say that was a a goal that Jones wants back. There was no screen, no deflection, uh, just top cheese. So, but it's also, I mean, it's also Tarasenko. He's a a sniper, and um, he's going to take any chance he gets. But against the top line, when that top line is going uh, for the Bruins, I mean, there's nothing that can contain them. There's really nothing. I mean, you can try to match Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron against them. I don't think it's going to make that big of a difference. I think there's just the three of them, like, for as big as a threat as they are offensively, uh, you need a a line that's just as big as a threat defensively that can shut them down. Ryan O'Reilly is the best chance they have at doing that, in my opinion. But I don't see him shutting down all three of them, and I don't see his line mates, Blay or Perron, being able to shut down the other two. But just to give you an idea of the stats for both teams through three rounds up to this point, this is not including game one, uh, for goals. And this is from NBC Sports. I'm not sure who the writer is. But from uh, goals, from Boston, it's 3.35 goals per game. So that's Boston is scoring just under 3.5 goals per game. Not too shabby. I guess the average is somewhere around 2.8 to 3. Um, For winning teams, it's got to be 3. For St. Louis, it's exactly three. So there you go. Goals against, also in favor of Boston, 1.94. So sub two goals per game is pretty damn good. St. Louis, 2.52. Not bad, but when you look at the differential between the goals per game and the goals against, you can basically deduce that St. Louis plays a lot of one-goal games. Um, Now, the problem with one-goal games is they rely a lot on luck and a lot on containing the offense of the other team which may have worked up to this point. I think the danger, the most dangerous team the Blues have faced has been the Sharks, um, who had a couple lines clicking, but I think overall they were banged up and um, not not everyone got going. Like Evander Kane didn't really get going. Um, you know, Don Scoy didn't really get going. I think he was out for a couple games too. I, I honestly don't remember. But um, everyone in Boston is healthy on the forward lines. You know, unless they're hiding an injury, but in terms of looks, everyone looks healthy. Everyone's in the games. There's no uh, maintenance days. Krejci had maintenance day for his fever. He might still be playing a little sick. I wouldn't, you know, doubt that. But other than that, um, it's going to be really hard to contain the Bruins. And then when you go to special teams, again, it's it's in favor of the Bruins. Boston, their power play is ridiculous. I expect that to come back to earth a little bit because of how well. Uh, fared in the conference finals going seven for 15 which is you know just under 50 percent so that's going to come back down I expect Boston will probably be somewhere around 28 to 30 percent right now it's 34 percent St. Louis um, not the greatest it's it's 19.3 which is what um, I think Boston in game one went one for five on the power play a lot of rust on that power play 
that was, if there was one area that you could tell things were not um, smoothed over, it was the power play. I mean, really bad entries, really bad passing. People were out of position. Um, a lot of passes to no one. So if anything, that I would expect to improve. It's not going to go one for five every game. I guarantee you the Blues aren't going to take five penalties in every game either. They've been a very, very good team in terms of not taking penalties. Uh, but that power play, it's a big difference. So, I mean, one for three and one for five, that, that's basically what that shakes out to. And then the penalty kill. Um, Boston, in the last series, I think went 96%. So, again, not the same team. I think Carolina has a lot of good offensive weapons. Um, their D are very active, but the Blues are, are a better team overall, in my opinion. So Boston's penalty kill, which was kind of bad in the first round, um, kind of so-so in the second round until the later, I think basically after game two, that penalty kill really tightened up. And now it's 86.3. But again, the last series it was 96.3. And I believe it was, um, I believe that St. Louis's power play was 0 for 0 or 0 for in the um in game one. So St. Louis's penalty kill is not very good. 78%, you might say it's not that much different than Boston's, but trust me, that 8% means a lot, especially with the way that Boston's penalty kill has been in the last, uh, say, five, six games. That's a big deal. Um, Boston has really tightened up on on letting in, um, A, shorthanded goals, uh, knock on wood, and uh, B, shorthanded chances. So or not short, sorry, um, power play chances for the other team. They've been a very, very good team. And even when they've allowed one to slip through, Rask has been there to stop it most of the time. So by numbers, Boston is the better team, um, offensively anyway, five on five. They're the better team defensively uh, overall. So actually, this is, this is just overall. So overall, not on five on five. Overall, Boston is a better team offensively, defensively, and then on the special teams, it's a big advantage in Boston's favor. But uh, it's not all doom and gloom for the Blues, as much as I wish it was. Um, you know, both these teams have gotten to where they are because they're good at adapting. And while you might not think that St. Louis could turn on their special teams, you look at that team and you say, why not? If that top power play unit can get going, that's a scary power play unit. If the penalty kill can get going, I don't see why that team can't kill penalties. Um, it's it's a good team. I mean, there, no one gets here by chance. It's a good team. And the, the people in St. Louis that are killing penalties, I mean, again, I go back to Ryan O'Reilly just because he's, he's such a defensive stalwart. I mean, he's, he's kind of a – he's one of my favorite players. I know he's had some um, character problems in the past, but in terms of actual hockey – the dude is, you know, Patrice Bergeron light. And I don't say that lightly because I think a lot of people use that term when they shouldn't. But he's really good at both ends of the ice. He can play on your power play. He can play on your penalty kill. Uh, I actually don't even know. I should probably look up St. Louis's penalty kill unit just to make sure. Well, regardless, you know, I'll, I'll try to look up the penalty kill units um, when I get a second here. But I'm, I wouldn't be surprised to see anything turn around. Because A, it's hockey, and hockey is a weird fucking sport where literally anything can happen. Everything we predict, it's not like basketball where it's Golden State every year. Like, this is not how this league works. All the teams are so close. 
Uh, even the ones that are bottom of the league, I mean, there's a big difference between, you know, like a Ottawa Senators and a Tampa Bay Lightning. But that's about as far as you get. And most of the teams in between that are, you know, a few points away or just a couple players away. Like, every team has good players at this point. There's no genuinely bad team, um, again, except for right now the Ottawa Senators. Okay, so we're going to get back to uh, the Blues. Uh, Blues were missing game or, sorry, Blues were missing Vince Dunn in game one, uh, who has been a staple on their back end. He's a very good puck-moving defenseman, and I think we're going to see a little bit different of a game with him in the lineup if he does come back for game two. Uh, depends on how healthy he is, of course. If it's you know 90%, 100% Vince Dunn, I think that will really help the Blues. Um, they were having a lot of trouble getting out of their own zone and getting through the neutral zone in the second and third period. And I think any kind of um, puck-moving defenseman will really help that, but especially Vince Dunn. I think people have been sleeping on him. If you don't know who he is, uh, I recommend just check him out next time you, you're watching a game. Again, that's if he's healthy enough to play game two. He is listed as day-to-day, but you never know what day-to-day means in the playoffs. Most teams will say day-to-day even if their player has you know a broken femur. Now, I've also heard a lot of people talking about uh, the Blues' fourth line of Oscar Sundquist, Ivan Barbashev, and Alex Steen. Alex Steen, um, who was moved down there without any kind of uh, flack. I mean, he's been a big part of this team for a long time. And uh, quite frankly, he's just getting old, and he's not able to hang necessarily, uh, at least in the playoffs, with the normal line he runs with. So that's been a, a world beater for the Blues throughout most of the playoffs. And, um, you know, the Bruins have had really good success with their fourth line as well. I do think Chris Wagner, who is now out with a broken arm after blocking a shot, uh, I think in game four against uh, Carolina, I think he was a better fit because he brings more offense than Nola Chari does. But the fourth line of the Bruins, which is Sean Corrali, Joachim Nordstrom, and Sean... or um, I just said his name, Nolachari, is also extremely good. And I heard a lot of people saying that this fourth line was going to dominate our fourth line. And maybe that's true. Maybe we'll see it. Uh, this game, didn't see it at all. I mean, Joel, this is not on the fourth line, but Joel Edmondson, oh, no, no, sorry, it was Robert Bertuzzo. Robert Bertuzzo looked like he had shit himself when Sean Corrali burst through and I mean, literally just undressed Robert Bertuzzo. It was, it was crazy. I mean, he had no chance of catching up to Corrali. Corrali is very fast. I think Bertuzzo is just not very fast. Um, and so he kind of tries to steer him toward Gunnarsson, and it doesn't work. And next thing you know, Buck is in the net. But I, I don't think we've heard the last of the fourth line from the Blues. I, I do expect to see a much better game from everyone in game two. I still think the speed is going to be a problem. I think Barube is going to have to adapt on the fly like most coaches do when they lose a game and um, see like what they can do with video on how they can change uh, defensive formations, offensive formations and entries and exits and all, all the fun X's and O's stuff. Um, to try to limit the chances of the Bruins, they're going to have to clog up the neutral zone really well which I think, um, I mean, I think Columbus did a pretty good job of that for the most part. Maybe they'll take a page out of their book and see what they can do. 
but we said it coming into the series, speed is going to be a problem for the Blues, and physicality supposedly is going to be a problem for the Bruins, which I don't really see. Um, again, I, I've been watching most of the games from the Blues, and it doesn't look that much different than Columbus. I mean, I'm not, I'm not giving, um, I'm not underrating the Blues. I'm not going to do it. Um, I think that if you're in the final, if you're in the playoffs, every team has a chance to win. And even though I am definitely leaning toward the Bruins to win the cup, uh, again, I'm not riding off the Blues. I think that their lines are underrated. The third line of Bozak, Thomas, and Maroon, again, has been a world beater. And that's, that's the thing is it's a true test of a cup contender when your third and your fourth line are almost more lamented than your top two lines, right? We've had that all year um, since Johansson and Coyle showed up in the um, the first round for the Bruins. And then you had Maroon score the double overtime winner in St. Louis uh, to beat Dallas. And, I mean, Robert Thomas, I swear to God, if I hear that he's 19 years old one more time, I'm, I'm going to shoot myself. Um, but he's been a phenom too. I mean, he's a first round pick. People kind of just wrote him off and here, and then Tyler Bozak, who was with the blues, uh, oh, I'm sorry, who was with the, uh, Maple Leafs, whenever they have a blue Jersey too, um, is now the third line center for here. And, you know, it's a little bit different of a role for him, not as many minutes, but I mean, he's got, he's still got it. I mean, he's, he's having a good playoffs too. What I think might be a difference maker for the Bruins if the top line, let's say uh, Ryan O'Reilly's Ryan, is able to mire down the top line of the Bruins, I think that Krejci line is really going to come in clutch. Uh, Jake DeBrusque looked like he had about 10 jetpacks under him in game one. He hit uh, one, if not two posts, or he hit a post, and I think he whiffed on a shot. Sorry, excuse me. Um, and, I, I mean, he's been kind of quiet. I, I think he's been injured, honestly, since that Kadri hit. Um, and no, I'm not talking about the fucking knee on knee. I'm talking about Kadri hitting him into the boards. It looked like his shoulder was giving him some problems. Hopefully that uh, 11 day layoff did help heal up some players if they had some nagging injuries. But I think that Krejci line could be a big difference maker. Krejci has been, uh, quietly one of the best playoff producers in the last, I don't know, uh, 10 years. I mean, basically since he's come to the team, he's been a monster, and I really think that he's going to shine in this. I mean, this is his kind of game, him and Bacchus. I mean, it's not a super fast team they're up against. Krejci likes to slow things down anyway. He's very elusive with the puck. Um, so that's, that's one of the key factors for me to look at and for you guys to look at throughout the series is how that second line performs. And I think for the Blues, it's going to be A, if Bennington can uh, match Rask, which I we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, and it's going to be if uh, the Tarasenko line can basically break free from the Bergeron line when they're in Boston, and then if they can break free from whatever line they're assigned to when they're in St. Louis. I think the Ryan O'Reilly line is going to be not as effective um, solely for the fact that they're not fast players, and I don't think... I think whoever they get put up against is going to be... Uh, it's going to be a problem for that line. Basically, whatever line the O'Reilly line goes up against, I think both lines are going to be negated offensively. Because they can match O'Reilly, um, or the Bruins can match the O'Reilly line with a third line of Danton Heinen, who's been 
Um, offensively, not amazing, but defensively and in terms of creating chances, he's been the best Bruin, They're, like bar none. It's actually insane when you look at the metrics. He has been so good for this Bruins team. But Danton Heinen and Charlie Coyle and Marcus Johansson, who all three of those players, I mean, it's a third line, but really it's kind of like a second, second line, if that makes sense. And you could arguably say that about the Bozak line for the Blues. That's been like a second, second line, the Maroon, Bozak, and Thomas. That's the thing is these lines aren't like the number assignment is kind of arbitrary at this point because they've all been so good for this, the, these teams, you know. Uh, Barbashev, Sunquist, and Steen could be a third line. Bozak, Maroon, and Thomas could be a second line. O'Reilly, Blay, and Perron is, I mean, it's the second line. It's kind of like the Krejci line. It's, you know, it's the second line. They're not less, they're not more. It's the second line. Um, and then, of course, you have the top lines as the top line. But those those bottom six um, forwards can kind of, I mean, they can go anywhere you need them to, really. They're very versatile. All right, now we're going to get to the game. I know I've been kind of um, prancing around it a little bit and trying to explain everything. Hopefully I didn't bore the crap out of you guys. But there was some definite excitement in this game. Um, I was nervous as hell. That's not really any different than what I normally am. But it, it just, from from the banner uh, waving to puck drop, it was just electrifying. Um, they got a lot of the 2011 Cup players from the Bruins to come wave banners and, and be in the crowd. Chris Kelly, Daniel Paye, Sean Thornton. Um, oh, God, I'm forgetting a bunch. of Dennis Seidenberg. I mean, a lot of people that were on that 2011 Cup team, which I think really amped up everybody, is probably good for the for the boys to see them again. Um, and then at puck drop, like I said, it was kind of sluggish for both. And then the second period, the Bruins dominated. One thing I did want to talk about is Pasternak's defensive lapses. And, um, I mean, not, I don't want to say judgment, but it's kind of, you know, that's kind of, they kind of go hand in hand. So... Um, we all know Pasternak is a ridiculously good offensive threat. His defense has come a long fucking way from where it was when he was being sent up and down to Providence by Julian. Uh, I think those stints in Providence and kind of just basically being told he's not good enough yet defensively really helped shape who he is. He's still young. I think he just turned 24 <clears throat> or maybe 23. I think I think he just turned 24. Uh, but he has these moments and he has these games where he seems to get stuck inside his own head. And that's something that we've seen come with age where you kind of get a little bit better mental fortitude on that stuff. Um, but either he's trying to be too fancy or he just overthinks it, whatever it is. It just leads to these horrible defensive breakdowns. And it seems like all playoffs, it's been two people. And it's been two people it really shouldn't be. It's been Marshand and it's been Pasternak. Uh, and Marshand was much better in game one defensively. I didn't see anything glaring. I mean, I probably did miss something. Um, but I didn't see anything too glaring. He might have been part of that turnover to lead to the first goal. I thought that was Pasternak again, but I could be wrong. Um, but it's just one of those things where you're going to have to just ride it out with this player. He's going to get better defensively. He plays with you know, the best defensive forward of all time, in my opinion. He plays with someone like Chara. I mean, he has people to lean on. And again, he's gotten better, and it's made him a much better offensive player too because he doesn't give people the puck most of the time. But there's been something off about him all playoffs, and maybe he's the one that's injured. Maybe he's just not having a good playoffs. Um, he's been good offensively for the most part, but defensively he's been a fucking nightmare. And someone who hasn't been a nightmare for the Bruins has been Connor Clifton. 
Uh, I wouldn't say he's been the most notable player, but he has been very good in both sides of the ice. Um, and maybe it's in sheltered minutes. I actually haven't looked at that. But he basically came in and replaced Miller um, when Miller was down. And that was, I mean, first it was John Moore and Stephen Camp for a little bit. But I think um, when they kind of saw what Clifton's game was, they were like, okay, let's let's give this a try. It looks like he could probably, you know, replace both those players and possibly be better or the same. And he's younger. We have him in the system. He's locked up, whereas Camper is on a one-year. Probably won't see the game again unless, you know, barring an injury. Um, but Clifton's been really good. He's had... A couple mistakes, but most of the time his exits in and out are very clean. He likes to jump into the rush. We saw it with Sean Corrali uh, yesterday. He jumped into the play. Uh, credit to the Blues player who was sticking with Clifton. He got his stick to uh, basically freeze so he couldn't swat it in. But Clifton just positioned his legs right, hit off his skate, no kicking motion, jumped into the net, brought the Bruins to a 2-1 deficit, uh, only down one goal. Uh, but Clifton, I mean, he's probably going to replace Miller. I think that this is Miller's last year. He's had a lot of injury problems. He's getting older. He's due for a new contract. And honestly, he deserves a, a good contract. I wouldn't, I would not, um, what's the word? I would not be surprised. There we go. I would not be surprised if Miller got, you know, four mil, a year for three or four years from another team. He is a good defenseman. He's a snarly defenseman. He just gets injured a lot because he puts his body on the line. He blocks shots. And uh, when he's healthy, man, he's a fucking force to be reckoned with. That guy has some bone-shattering punches um, if he needs to fight. He's a great defenseman, but he just can't stay healthy. He's like Adam McQuaid 2.0. He's better defensively. He's, uh, I mean, he's not really, there's not much offense there, but... Um, and he just gets hurt a lot. I mean, that, that's just the, that's just the gist of it. He just gets hurt a lot. And John Moore, uh, Jesus, I mean, look, we, we kind of thought it was a bad signing before. And then once we looked into it a little bit, it's, it's, he's arguably one of the best or one of the worst defensemen in the league. And he just signed a five-year deal for 2.75 mil a year. You know, I hope that there's someone out there that will take him. Uh, maybe in sheltered minutes he'll be okay. 2.75 is really not a big number. Um, you might be able to, you know, kind of shellack him to a team that doesn't have any hopes of the playoffs, and maybe you give him a favor by giving him like a a fourth rounder or something to sweeten the pot. But anyway, um, speaking of defensemen that you know don't have a horrible cap hit and have actually been really good, um, Tory Krug, this guy has been a fucking monster. All playoffs. He played 25-plus minutes last night. Um, there's a lot of fans that are strangely in the Toronto and Montreal area. I'm not going to point any names here. Um, fans and media, actually, that were really mad at that Tory Krug hit um, against, was it Robert Thomas? I believe it was Robert Thomas. Um, so if you happen to miss out, uh, and even if you didn't, uh, Perron and... Krug are in front of Rask. They're both jostling at each other, and they both go down to the ground. They're both in like this weird scrum, and Perron ends up pulling off Krug's helmet, <clears throat> and you know basically skates off to go for a line change. Krug goes to go after Perron, whether to 
you know, hit him, talk shit, whatever. And he sees Perron's going for a line change, so Krug decides to rush back into the play. He's coming into the zone where the puck currently is, and Robert Thomas is going to knock the zone, knock the puck out of the zone, and Krug legally hits him. And I'm going to stress this again. Legally hits him. Now, I know there's the dichotomy of if this was a charge, if it wasn't a charge. Uh, I wanted to read something, and I know that the rule is a little bit nebulous, and that's kind of how they write these things. Um, but this is from Mark Dumont, who is a Habs and Laval Rocket analyst for The Athletic, Montreal. Um, he quote tweeted Pete Blackburn's tweet, who basically showed a full sequence about, uh, he says, here's a full sequence for everyone screaming about a charge. And then Mark Dumont retweets that and says, I quote, the optics are bad because Krug sped to the neutral zone at 9,001 kilometers per hour, but he did not charge. He did not target the head, did not leave his feet until he made contact and the laws of physics forced him to do so. That's a clean hit, which is correct. That's a clean hit. Now, if you also watch, he doesn't, I mean, he gets a, a lot of speed out of the neutral zone or through the neutral zone, rather. He takes about three strides, big strides, and glides over. He's going to where the puck is being played. He's not targeting Robert Thomas, who doesn't have the puck, by the way, when he does those strides uh, from the neutral zone, from the offensive zone, from any zone. He's not targeting him. Now, he just happens to get the puck, and he goes, okay. He follows the puck to where he thinks it's going to go, which is Thomas. Um, Thomas is fine. There's no head contact. It's a clean hit. Leave it alone. And not that this would discount it if it was charging, but just just as a you know a fun fun fact here, Krug is five nine, maybe one seventy. Uh, Robert Thomas is six one. I mean, there's a there's a bit of a, a size difference. I think it's fine. I don't think there's any problem here. Um, it was a big ass hit. And you know what? If you're not gonna call whatever penalties in the scrum, you're not gonna call the the Bacchus. Um, or the Bennington elbow to, to Bacchus's head again, which we're going to talk about that in a second, um, then don't call this, and I'm fine with that. If there's no penalty and there's no head contact, don't call it. It's a fine hit. So on the subject of Bacchus, uh, he had a lot of bad blood with Joel Edmondson, which was a little strange. I know that, you know, it's it's the cup and you're on opposite teams, but it, it seemed like there was some definite bad blood there between the two. And maybe that's just us as hockey fans um, making something out of nothing. Um, but it, it seriously, I mean, every chance they got, they were in each other's faces. Edmondson definitely started it. He cross-checked Bacchus to the face. I mean, there, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He cross-checked him to the face. Bacchus goes down. Hand goes up with a ref. And Edmondson, Edmondson immediately like raises his hand like, what the fuck? Why am I being called for that? And then skates over to Bacchus and shoves him, like, stop pretending. And you see the replay in slow motion, and it's literally Edmondson's stick going into Bacchus's face. That's a fucking penalty. If you don't understand that, I don't know, I don't know how you're playing hockey. I mean, that is a textbook cross-check to the face. And you want to talk about someone who's had horrible luck? And I know if you're a Chicago fan, you're not sweating any, or you're not crying any tears for David Backus. But this motherfucker has been elbowed in the head. I've counted four times just in this playoff season alone. Four! I think two of which have taken him out with concussions. He gets elbowed directly in the head. 
I think it was actually to the chin by Jordan Bennington. And let me tell you something. It was intentional. You can see it. It was intentional. Not called. Okay. That's what I'm saying. If you're not going to call one, don't call the other. It's, it's just the way it's going to work. You're going to be mad about it if your team loses. You're going to cry about it. goes for every fan base. But I got to say, just please don't. Please don't. It, it makes the game so much less enjoyable when you have to hear people whine and bitch about how, oh, it wasn't won fairly because the Bruins have the refs in their pocket. Shut up. Shut up. Just watch the game. It's a good game, I promise. And the refs, as much as they've been maligned, you know, it. there's that Krejci call for a legal check to the head. Bullshit. Okay, whatever. You're going to call bad calls. There's bad calls on both sides. It's just the way it's going to go, people. There's no fixing it. Gary Bettman gave his press conference. They're not changing it. They're not doing anything different for the final. I, I think they really should have implemented the review every goal thing in the final. But, you know, we're, we're going to see. Maybe it'll fuck someone over. Maybe it won't. Uh, I'm going to go with chances are um, it doesn't. But I, I, I just really have to hope it doesn't. Okay. Now we're going to talk about Sean Corrali, and I promise there is some blues talk later after this. Um, I want to talk about Sean Corrali because he, again, scored a huge goal for the Bruins. He scored the game winner for Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final uh, with the 3-2 goal. Uh, other goals he's also scored this season, uh, and he hasn't had a ton in the regular season, but he scored the game winner at the Winter Classic, which, again, just a regular game, but... Um, for the Bruins fans and for the Blackhawks fans, that was a fun game at Notre Dame. So, game winner in, at the Winter Classic, which I also think was a 3-2 goal. The backbreaker in Game 7 versus the Leaf. The backbreaker in Game 4 versus Columbus. Um, and then goal and assist in Game 1 of the Cup Final. So, the dude, I mean, he's a fourth liner. He's not going to score every game. He's He might not even score every series, although in this, he has scored every series. Um, but the goals he does score are mostly huge fucking goals. He had the double O double OT winner against the Senators in Game Five to or Game Four to stay alive for the Bruins, um, and that was a couple of years ago. But it seems like every time we think he might be done producing in terms of the regular season, as soon as it's a big time you know uh, play or big time game, he's right there and he steps up and scores. So I just wanted to give him a little bit of credit for that. Uh, also, a little credit to Chara, who is the fourth oldest uh, player to record a point in the Stanley Cup Final. I know age isn't really an accomplishment in itself, but playing for this long is a huge accomplishment. So hats off to the big guy. Uh, 43 is the oldest uh, age that someone has scored in the Stanley Cup Final. Chara is 42. Now let's talk about Bennington. Uh, Jordan Bennington has been an amazing story for the Blues. He came from, uh, this year anyway, Providence Bruins when the Chicago Wolves um, were sharing a farm team with Vegas and basically uh, couldn't house any of their players. And I think it's because they were either being relocated or they were being shut down. I, I honestly don't remember so anyway, Jordan Bennington gets assigned to the ECHL. He refuses the assignment, stays on with the Blues, and um, basically I would guess that Doug Armstrong or the assistant GM for the Blues called Don Sweeney um, and said, who was the GM for the Bruins, and asked if you know there was a loaning stint they could do, which they said yes. Uh, Bennington played amazing in Providence, by the way. This was 
when when this was happening, Bruins fans were like, "Hey, why don't we, uh, you know, I want to see if we can snag this guy." Sure enough, Bennington gets calls up or gets called up by the Blues. Doesn't go back down. He's been absolutely solid for them. There's been games where he hasn't been great. Game one, I think both Rask and he could have been better. Um, Rask really didn't see that much um, rubber after the first period. So, I mean, I can't really. He can't be better if he's not facing shots. I do think that you know after that first period, everyone woke up, including him. Um, but again, both those goals against him were super high danger. I mean, you would expect like peak Rask in the conference finals to stop at least one of those. So, I think again, there's room for improvement everywhere. I do think we're going to see different goalies in game two, and that, by that I mean I think we're going to see dialed in goalies. I think Bennington. Uh, let's say he'll record a 9.39. I think Rask will have to be better than that. I think, um, you know, both these teams, after a loss, tend to do really well. Uh, the Bruins, I think the last time they lost was game three of the second round against Columbus. And they had lost two in a row. They won the first game, lost game two, lost game three, didn't lose again. And in game three, I mean, both it was a goalie duel. It was a goalie duel. But this kid, Bennington, has a bright future. I know he's not really a kid. He's 24. But in terms of goalie age, he's a kid. I mean, that's you have a lot of good years with him, St. Louis. If, if he proves to be how he is um, or how he has been, you guys have a good goalie for a long time. And that's really all you've needed. I mean, your defense is pretty good. I think you have a couple oldies. Who doesn't? But, man, if you guys... If you guys have a similar run, or if you have Bennington that you've had the Bennington of, you know, for the entire time you've had him right now in terms of uh, NHL stint, you guys are in really good position next year. And I would not be surprised at all. A couple tweaks, and you're back in the Stanley Cup final. I mean, especially the West next year, you're going to have Vegas as as probably the biggest opponent. Because um, I think San Jose next year, they're, they have a chance. Um but they're going to have to retool, and they're going to have to do like a really good job of it. They're going to have to fix their goaltending. Uh, I mean, every area of theirs is a little bit of a tweak. I don't think Eric Carlson is going to come back. So, I mean, I really think that the Blues are in a good position to, to return to the Cup Final next year. Um, and I don't see why not, especially with Bennington by their side if he puts up um, even half the decent numbers he has this year. I mean, it's going to be a little different for him. He's never played an 82-game season. Uh, especially in the NHL, but I think he can do it. So I mentioned that the Bruins haven't lost game since uh, game three of the second round. And uh, we're not going to do gloating necessarily, but we're going to kind of do um, a stats version of that eight-game win streak. It's been really, really close in certain games, not really during the conference final so much. There was one game that was pretty close, uh, but mainly the second round. And then game two is, or game one as well with this series, I mean, Blues were up one, 2 nothing, and then go down one goal. Um, so it was tight the entire way through. So in the eight-game streak, the Bruins have scored four goals per game. They've allowed 1.38 goals against. Their power play has been 34.5%. Their penalty kill has been 96.2%, which is really, you know, it'd probably be closer to 90 Um Normally, but I i mean, the penalty kill has been absolutely crazy. And Rask is at a 956 save percentage. Now, we had a 900 uh, last game. Again, I think both goalies are going to have stellar performances in game two. It's just going to be 
what forwards get the better chances and what goalie lets one slip by. Uh, I really do think that game two, if there's going to be uh, one game that's low scoring, it's going to be game two because I think both teams don't like how they played. And I know that Boston won, but I really don't think like this team has been all about perfection all season long. doesn't matter how they won. There's room for improvement. And they go over it every single day in film. And same with uh, the St. Louis Blues since they got Craig Berube. He takes no shit. He is going to make sure every single person is ready for their assignments. And if they're not, he's going to let them have hell. Uh, also, can we just mention that Johansson was the best forward on both teams last night? I mean, dude looked like fucking Bobby Orr just dicing through defense or slicing through defensemen and <laughs> hit two posts. Or hit a, I think he hit at least a post, and then every chance he got, I mean, it was such a good performance by him. And it was sad that there was nothing to show for it, at least for Bruins fans. But, I mean, that guy, if we can re-sign him for a good deal, that's going to be a steal. That I mean, that third line looks so lethal when they're going, and they're always going. And if they're not, they're not allowing anything against. It's crazy. And I think defensively that's largely to Heinen and Coyle uh, offensively it's it's largely due to Johansson I mean Johansson has the vision Coyle has the size and then Danton Heinen has kind of the mind for it I mean it's it's crazy how good that line is all right guys I think we're gonna wrap it up on that one um, on the last point here the Blues are gonna show up in game two it's not gonna be this is not how the series is gonna go and I don't buy it for a second. The Blues had 12 shots through uh, 52 minutes of play, something like that. I mean, it was ridiculous. They were held to uh, five shots for 35 minutes, or over 35 minutes. That's not going to happen again. And I think we're going to see a much different Blues team. And um, I'm excited for it. I'm, again, I'm nervous, but I'm excited. I think this could be a really, really good cup final. Um, so, again, tomorrow is game two. We might be doing uh, mini-sodes, kind of similar to how ESPN on Ice is doing theirs uh, after every game. We might just be doing one a week or one every two games, let's say. It depends. We'll see how things go. We'll see if there's enough to talk about within a game. And um, until then, we'll see you guys next week. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, my Twitter is at TylerXGerholt. You can also follow the podcast on any kind of streaming service. So we're on uh, Spotify, Stitcher iTunes, um, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, SoundCloud, anything you can think of, we're on it. Uh, give us a like, give us a review if you feel so inclined. Uh, it really helps us boost the ratings for the podcast. And until next time, guys, um, go Bruins.